Recovery Elevator, episode 413. I can live a life without alcohol. I'm happy. This is a much better way to live than being controlled by something that you have to put in your body. Uh, like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three, Mix four. down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. There we go. Three, four. Wiki, wiki. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. I'm Chris, and I'm happy that you're here with us. On today's show, we have Matt. He's 43 from North Atlanta and took his last drink on November 15th, 2022. Nice job, Matt. I want to remind everyone that registration for our alcohol-free ukulele course is now open. The course runs from February 11th until March 18th. You and the group will meet up for six consecutive Saturdays at noon Eastern time. No prior ukulele or music experience is needed, and the course will be divided into three parts. Learning the ukulele, learning the power of sound and healing vibrations, and to help you quit drinking by creating accountability with an alcohol-free community. The course is all about having fun. Last year, I sat in on one of the last classes and got to hear what the people had learned. It warmed my heart to see all the smiles and to hear the music. You can get more info over at our website, www.recoveryelevator.com ukulele. And a quick shout out to our chat host over in Cafe RE. You guys crushed it during the holidays, creating a space where our community could show up for one another. I'm excited for another year of chats with this amazing team. I love you guys. Before we get to our intro, a quick word from a great sponsor, Exact Nature. We are thrilled to partner with Exact Nature because we are committed to the same goal, to help you quit drinking. Exact Nature's safe, all-natural CBD-based products can aid your alcohol-free journey. If you struggle with sleep, cravings, mood swings, and high stress levels, learn more about how Exact Nature can help you at exactnature.com. Recovery Elevator listeners will receive 20% off their orders by using the code RE20. That's RE20 at exactnature.com. All right, let's get into it. Last November, I turned 40. I've never been one to get too worked up about my age, mostly because I still act like I'm 14, according to my wife. But there was something about 40 that got to me. I've got two kids, and I started to think more about longevity and being able to be healthy later in life. I see dustings of gray hair from time to time, and I'm noticing the aches and pains a little more often. Now, I'm not ready to put one foot in the grave, but I'm just being observant. An area that I've struggled with in recovery has been my physical health, and that ties in with my advancing age. I gave myself a pass when I sobered up because I realized the importance of focusing on my recovery from alcohol, and that's okay. It's what I needed to do. There are an infinite number of pathways to recovery, and we each need to find that recipe that's going to work for us. For me, focusing on the mental and spiritual was at the forefront, and nutrition and physical activity took a backseat. Now, fast forward five years, and my nutrition and physical activity are still chilling in the backseat, but now they're covered in dust and I've neglected them. In the past five years, I've tried to pull them out, but nothing has stuck. When I would try to get back into it, I'd look back on the years before I quit drinking. I used to be a guy who had his nutrition dialed in, except for the four to five cases of beer a week that I kept drinking. 
but we won't talk about that. I had a routine at our gym and was working out at least five days a week. So whenever I would try to get back into it, I kept telling myself, I know what to do. I'd say that I was going back to that life again. I'd sign up for the gym. I'd go back to my strict nutrition plan. And within two weeks, I'd fall off. It didn't stick. In my five years of sobriety, I've probably relived this scenario about 10 times. It sucks. It's demoralizing. And it's filled me with shame. After my 40th, I was thinking about starting up the same way that I had before. Do I give this another shot? I've got to do something, right? This time, I decided to try something different. I didn't want to do the same thing again. That failure scared me. I prayed about it and I meditated on it. And I knew that there had to be a way that I could make it stick. I'm grateful for my recovery and the tools that it's given me because they came through. One day a few weeks ago, it smacked me in the side of the face. Why are you trying to do this by yourself? This is another type of recovery, Chris. How about you treat it like that? Similar to my recovery from alcohol, my solo attempts didn't yield results. Why don't you let someone in? I can tell you why I didn't want to let someone in. What if I failed? But again, recovery to the rescue. When I've fallen short in my recovery, my accountability hasn't been there to shame me. They're there to pick me up and to love me where I'm at and to help me get back on track. So I did what I had been scared to do. I told someone where I was at. I've got a great friend who loves the health and wellness world and I opened up to him. I told him all the ways that I was being held back. I told him how I had tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed and I outright asked him for help. And true to form for all of my recovery friends, I was met with love, compassion, and excitement for the chance to help me live my life to the fullest. There was no shame, no guilt, no accusations. He simply told me that he was proud of me for opening up and recognizing that I couldn't do it alone. For the next hour or so, we talked about what this could look like. We talked about my why and how that ties in with wanting to live a healthier life. We set some small goals that are attainable. We talked about letting those little wins help to build the discipline and turn that into a practice. What didn't we do? We didn't try to uproot my entire life with lists of things that I couldn't do or to create a daily routine so strict that it was bound for failure. By focusing on things that were attainable and tying in why I want to do this, we're working towards something. Part of this intro is self-serving. It's accountability for me. My favorite closing words for the podcast are, you're the only one that can do this, but you don't have to do it alone. If I'm going to say that, I think I'd better live it too. I want you to know that I'm not bringing this to you from a place where I've made it and I'm doing great. I'm coming to you from a couple days into this recommitment to my health. We're pretty close to day one and that's okay. I want to close this intro out with something I heard during a workout the other day. What up Anya from Apple Fitness? During the workout, she talked about grit, grace, and gratitude. First, grit. If you're here, you're showing up. You're in the arena, and that takes grit. You've made the decision that you want something different for yourself, and you're showing up. I'm proud of you for that, and I want you to be proud of yourself too. It can be challenging to take an honest look at ourselves and acknowledge that we want to make a change, but if you're doing it, nice job. Next, grace. Things don't always go as planned. Our path may be littered with stumbling blocks, but you're here though, and you're doing the work. 
Give yourself some grace. Recognize that what you're doing is difficult and don't get caught up in the shame and guilt spiral. Instead, get back on the path. Holding on to that negative self-talk doesn't serve us. It drags us down. With grace, we can keep that momentum and keep moving forward. Finally, gratitude. It's important to find gratitude for wherever you are on the journey. Gratitude isn't about suppressing your feelings and pretending that everything's fine. It's about a true shift in perspective and recognizing that the situation that we're in is an opportunity. Even if it's as simple as having gratitude for the opportunity to try again today, there's always something. I was hesitant to talk about this, especially so early in the year. For whatever reason, I've always been resistant to New Year's resolutions, but here we are. This is about more than tackling our health and wellness or our fitness, though. It's about those things in our lives that we've tried and tried and tried to change, but haven't been able to. It's about recognizing the need to up our investment in ourselves and to try something new. Like I said, I'm early in this today, but I'm willing to give it a shot. And now I've got the accountability in place to help me along the way. Before we hear from Matt, let's hear from another great sponsor, BetterHelp. In a perfect world, we all want to feel our best at all times. However, through life and recovery, I've had to learn to accept the wobbles that come with this journey. You've all heard me talk about my dip days. For me, managing these has come hand in hand with using tools that I have learned through therapy. I love knowing that I have agency and that even when I'm not feeling great, I can feel empowered to take positive action. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. BetterHelp is convenient and flexible. Also, it's entirely online. You can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash elevator. Recovery Elevator, I'd like to welcome Matt to the podcast. Matt, how are you? Doing well, Paul. Good to see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You too, Matt. Great to have you here. I'm excited to, to get to know you. I'm excited to share your story with the Recovery Elevator audience. How are you feeling about the interview, Matt? Very good. I've been wanting to do this for a while. All right. Cool, cool. Well, let's get into this, Matt. When was your last drink? I was 31 days ago on November 15th of this year. So I picked up my 30-day chip last night at my AA meeting. Yeah. How was that? It was a good feeling. I, you know, I have a day tracker on my phone, how many days I've had sober. And I, I felt like I was stuck at 27 for the longest time. And, you know, I finally came and it was just a good feeling to stand up. And, you know, I've gotten to know that group of people very well. And it's, um, it's a feeling of elation. It's really, really good. Yeah. Now, Matt, are we in uncharted waters with 31 days or have you been here before? I've been here before. I've been, um, I was in and out of AA for about the past four years, starting in about 2018. And, you know, I'd get some time under my belt and then for whatever reason would just go back out, but then I'd come right back and then go back out again. I think the most I allotted was about six months and just um, COVID hit and they stopped doing meetings. And everybody uses this excuse, which is, you know, I tried those Zoom meetings and stuff, but it was different. It wasn't, I, li I like to drive somewhere. It's like, it's like the gym. Like I'll work out if I drive somewhere and go and I'm around people. It was very isolating. And I think it led to me just kind of giving up altogether. 
And then it got to a, a point where, you know, over time, as you keep ingesting this poison into your body, um, you're going to become dependent. Yeah, Matt, makes sense to me. I've heard that COVID story several times, but you're back at it. You got 31 days without alcohol. I'm excited to learn yeah. more about how you log those 31 days. But before we get deeper into your story, Matt, I want you to give listeners a little background about yourself. Let us know where you're from, your age, maybe what you do for a living. Do you have a family? And most importantly, Matt, what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, so I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was I was a Delta kid. My dad was a pilot for Delta Airlines, and we lived down here for 10 years. And then we moved to Park City, Utah, because Delta is based in Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. And so I had my elementary years in Georgia, and then my middle school and high school years were in Utah. And I became a very avid skier, um, used to race, you know, like the Olympic events, downhill and GS and all that. So I became a very avid skier. I'd ski every day. You know, I'm a accomplished baseball player. I played through high school and I played afterwards. I'm a regular at the gym. I run on the street and I play a lot of guitar. I'm in a band here in a local neighborhood band, if you want to call it that. And we get together about three to four times a month and practice and we played a few live gigs. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So, well, what kind of music does your band play? And what's the band? A lot of classic rock, 90s, 80s, 70s, uh, anything from Led Zeppelin, Metallica, Pearl Jam, to Steppenwolf and ACDC. And our band name is Suburban Rock. Suburban. Which stands for, which stands for Southern Bourbon the Drink and Rocks. <laughs> yeah. And for this podcast, we'll... we'll We'll alter that to so bourbon rock. Yeah, that was that was too easy. Okay, <laughs> do you guys do any uh, uh, Creedence Clearwater? Uh, yeah, we play um, Fortunate Son. Yeah, and, um, I, we play another one, Bad Moon Rising. Is that gonna say that was the one I was I was expecting to hear? Yeah, yeah and I mean, if you think about it, that, is the easiest song. It's just three chords. It is. Yeah, I was in a yeah. band in college. And we covered Fortunate Son. That song yeah. is on the the Forrest Gump soundtrack, which in my opinion, yeah. one of one of the best soundtracks of all time. A double disc, if you remember those days. Oh yeah, yeah. They, yeah. When helicopters come in, they they play that song. Yep. It's, it's, absolutely. It's yeah. yeah. All right, Matt. Let's get into this. Let's chat about alcohol, your journey. But first, uh, when when did you take your first drink? How did uh, what role did alcohol play in your life before it became a problem? Yeah. So I was always curious as a a young kid and you know my parents are responsible drinkers and i uh had my first sip of my dad's beer about eight years old and it was just a sip and immediately i remember going wow i really like that you know i like the taste it, i wasn't sure what the effects would be but it was just a sip and you know the next time i asked my dad said no um obviously but you know dinner one night you know maybe nine or ten years old i know it was about around age eight my mom had a glass of wine and um, I was like, mom, can I have a sip of that? And she gave it to me. And I was like, whoa, that's really, really good. I've never tasted anything like this before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was just a sip. You know, they weren't going to, they just wanted me to, you know, I was a curious kid. Here's what it, what it tastes like. And yeah, I remember I, I just in the back of my head, I remember, I really liked that. I really liked the way that tastes. Another example is we were at church doing communion and they actually, they actually had wine, like those miniature, miniature shot glasses of wine. And it was not grape juice. It was wine. And I remember, mm. oh, that's wine. 
oh yeah and you know I, I just couldn't wait i was like oh i love the taste of this stuff so i'd you know go through the communion line and drink it and oh yeah that's that's you know red wine i remember that and that was kind of it i mean there were no thoughts of it after that but when i got to high school there was the opportunity to partake i was 16 years old i remember it very clearly me and my buddies there was a gas station that you know sold to miners in salt lake was um you know in a shady area kind of town and we bought a bunch of 40s and we drove up to a middle school and just sat on the field and drank these 40s and i remember just the euphoria from it i mean to this day i just i really remember that story and you know i was i was blitzed i was you know very drunk and mm -hmm. I, and at that age i'm not thinking of oh, i have a problem or i could be an alcoholic or any of that but you know throughout high school you know i would go to parties i wouldn't say i had a regular during the week you know drink i mean i would just drink at these parties and there were weekends i had off you know i was a competitive athlete so i couldn't go to every party and so that was kind of high school for me you know i experimented with other things like you know weed and you know i do a painkiller here and there, but nothing serious. It was more of like binge drinking at that point in my life mm -hmm. with several months or weekends off. I, when I get to college, I went to Auburn University, which I, I made it back down to the South, which is about a hundred miles from Atlanta. And when I got there, I remember, you know, rushing and going to the fraternity houses. And, and back then, you know, alcohol was given freely to any age, Mm -hmm. And I mean, police didn't even p patrol these parties. And, you know, that's when my partying days began was in college. You know, I started seeing, you know, things slip, you know, my responsibility to class. <laughs> I skipped class and, you know, my grades really, really suffered. And I was so involved in this, you know, party atmosphere that, you know, my sophomore year kind of led to this really... I became very a very anxious kid, and I would have these panic attacks that I, that I've never had before in my life. And, th and this was in college. Yeah, this is in college. Do you think so, alcohol had something to do with it? I think it did. I really do. Um, now that I look back, but at the time I couldn't figure it out. I was like, sure, it, it was that feeling of I was in class one day and the teacher shut the door and I just remember the sound of that door and I was like, I can't escape. I have to stay here. Hmm. And I just started obsessing about this. Oh, people are looking at me. I've got to get out of here. Panic. And so I left. I left the class and it calmed down after that. I probably went and drank after that just to calm my nerves. Yeah. But I do remember in college when these panic attacks would creep up, I would get alcohol and I would I would take a drink to calm my nerves. Sure. And it was, it was almost like I know that this substance I'm about to take is going to end this 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 panic that i'm having yeah i knew it in the in almost the forefront of my mind i was assured that all you need is that that drink and it will calm you down yeah matt we've had a lot of interviews on this podcast at an early age college high school and not they figure out alcohol is a is a powerful sedative a powerful medicine shall we say it it helps with anxiety it helps with feelings of unworthiness helpless helps us fit in um were you would you consider yourself a normal drinker in college and and uh or or when when did alcohol become problematic where the writing was on the wall that wait a second I might not be drinking like a normal person um you're you're 43 right now and I want to save plenty of time for that um for your 31 days but uh, yeah uh, 
pick pick up from there. Yeah, so um, I was pretty much the same drinker as as most of the people at that school. I would say. I mean, there was a lot of drinking there. So if you wanted to compare, I was probably in line with a lot of people there. There were some that were went to the extremes, and there were some that didn't do it at all. I was probably, you know, right in the middle with you know a large majority of the of the students. Mm-hmm. And you know, I graduated. I, I buckled down my senior year and. I would say I was using a lot less at that time because my grades had suffered and I I really needed to buckle down. I got straight A's my senior year. Um, really, my mother stepped in and really we got we got to see a, a, a school counselor and you know we talked about my path towards graduation and it took a lot of studying and so I was in the library multiple not a lot of a lot of the time and really paying attention to my classes and participating in. Because I wanted to, you know, graduate. And yeah, yeah, great job. So I pulled it, pulled it out, and that was a success level for me. That was like, wow, he graduated. All right, now what? Let's get a job. Okay. So I went to the career fair and got a job with a big paint company. And I remember during the interview, I was like, "Don't have a panic attack. Don't have a panic attack. Don't have, you know." It was, and I, at that point, I had been able to kind of psychologically almost cure myself of these attacks. I mean, I could. I could feel them coming on and somehow I would like motivate myself to overcome that urge um, to have to escape. You know, I had visible signs of panic attacks. I, I would sweat like you've never I mean, profusely from the face and just dripping sweat. And I remember getting through this interview and landing a job that paid very well for my age of 23. And I mean, I was more related to the fact that I didn't have a panic attack in that interview than actually getting the job. Mm-hmm. I was like, here we go. We're onto something here. You know, maybe, you know, it's just an, it's just, I have to psych myself out of these things. So I, for several years, these panic attacks virtually vanished. Um, I'd had one here and there, but it wasn't, it wasn't a problem. So I'm working for this big company and I, I'm, I'm achieving well, I'm succeeding well. And I get a promotion that made me the youngest sales rep pretty much here in Atlanta, which was very, I, I loved it. It was great. And the drinking continued. I had days off though. I wasn't, you know, a weekly drinker or, or weekday drinker. I was mostly weekends. You know, I get together, usually wasn't drinking by myself. I was usually within a, a, a group of people or friends. And, you know, I never thought I had a problem. I never said, wow, this is getting out of hand because I was, I was doing my job very well. You know, if I had too much one night, the hangovers, you know, I'd just muscle through that hangover. I'd go to the gym or go running um, just to get my, you know, endorphins going. And I never thought of it as being a problem for years. Yeah. And Matt, take us to the moment where where you did recognize, wait, this is a problem. How how old were you? And and, uh, what, what, what did it feel like then? I would say within the last year, really, okay. We've got a problem. You know, I'm 42 years old last year, 2021. I began to drink in the mornings to kind of, you know, get my day going, if you will. Gotcha. But hang on a second, Matt. I think you said yeah. in 2018 that you started to go to AA. What was yeah. it be- before that? I haven't met too many people that go to AA that don't have a problem with alcohol or don't suspect that. So was something before in 2018 that you said, wait a second, I need to go to AA. And you even logged some I think you said six months of alcohol-free time before that or or during that spell. Uh, Yeah, what happened there? Yeah, so 
you know, my job performance did start to suffer. I'd been with several companies at this time back in 2018, and I was put on a performance initiative plan, which essentially you have to work your ass off to, you know, pull yourself out of that. And ultimately I was terminated. And I just remember this, um, my, my stomach dropped and I really went to substance abuse and drinking a lot to deal with this. And, you know, several months later, I did start to realize like I'm using this as a way to suppress, you know, responsibilities and feelings. And I'm using it more and more and more. My progression had begun and, you know, life at home wasn't great. You know, my wife caught on to it and, you know, I agreed, like, I need to, I need to, I need to get a handle on this. Yeah. And so I went to AA the first time in September of 2018 and I wasn't that scared when I went in. I know some people have this, you know, mounting fear of AA, but I was welcome to this group and I would log some time and almost reward myself for that time by going out. Sure. I've heard that many times before and my own personal experience. Yeah. So I'd get 30 days and, you know, I'd celebrate. Mm -hmm. Then I'd be back in AA the next week or so. Yeah, Matt, those 30 days, those milestones for me were almost ways to prove myself. When I first began this journey, I said, oh, I got 30 days. There's no way I can be an alcoholic. Whoa, I got 60 days? Not a chance. And then when I went to AA after two and a half years in support for a friend, because I didn't have a problem because I had gone two and a half years away from alcohol, that was the ultimate. Oh, no way. What am I talking about? I don't have a drinking problem and, and shit hit the fan later that night for me. But let's talk about, okay, you said about a year ago is when you 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 realize like, look, this is this is a major problem. Whereas was there a rock bottom moment that led you to get to these 31 days or or what happened then? I remember just waking up every morning in the bed praying, you know, please take this demon away from me. I I cannot control this. I'm not gonna drink today. I'm not gonna drink today. I'm not gonna drink today. Well, two hours later. As you you mentioned, you were drinking in the morning to get the day started. And a a line that comes to me is, is we no longer drank to feel good. We drank to feel normal. Normal. Does does that track with you? And and what was that like? Absolutely. You know, what is the the term? One's too many and 10's not enough. Yeah. 10's not enough. A million isn't enough. Yeah. (laughs) I hear you. So I'd have one and it would take the edge off. But why I stop at one when I can have two? Yeah. Matt, I want to throw something out to listeners there because I have been there where you wake up in the morning or even it could be three or four in the morning knowing the sun is about to come out shortly. And it's like this intimate conversation with God, with yourself, with your soul. You try to gather all the parts of your personality, the conscious, the unconscious and say, look, we're not drinking today. Here's the plan. Are you on board with this, Paul? Yes. And then a couple hours later, I, I, I feel you. But I want to tell the listeners out there, because I know some of them are in this exact same spot. Somebody might be listening to this right now at four in the morning on on like a Sunday morning or they have work coming up. I want to tell you right now, it's it's incredibly painful spot to be, but the good good part of this is the end is near, right? The tipping point of, of you making the plunge into sobriety is near. And it sounds like it was for you too, Matt, even though it was about a year away. Yeah, what happens after that? You're having these talks with yourself in the morning, but you find yourself drinking. Yeah, and, and this this became a rock bottom place. And I knew that I could not quit on my own, physically addicted to alcohol. And I 
I had to do something about it. And so I went to detox uh, nearby my house and checked myself in, had a, had a buddy from AA take me. And was that this year? That was, yeah, I, 31 days ago. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. So you went to inpatient detox or, or yeah. detox and listeners, I highly recommend that where alcohol is the most dangerous drug in the world to detox from everything else, uh, extremely uncomfortable symptoms, but the seizures, uh, the tremors, they can be, they can be deadly. And there've been many who have, who have perished just from detoxing from alcohol. So I highly recommend it. If you've been drinking a lot for a long time to check yourself into a detox facility. And as we hear with Matt, that's what springboarded him onto this 31 day streak. So you go through detox, uncomfortable. I get that. What was it like on day four or five or three, four or five when you came out of detox? Yeah, day four was my clarity moment. I, they say it takes about four days. I can assure you that I was feeling better and more clear-headed and you know the alcohol had left my system. So it was the fourth day. But I do want to back up a sec. You know, Going to detox was the hardest thing for me to get through those doors. But when I got there... I'm going to describe it as like a vacation, like, okay, pause the world. Let's get well. You know, you're not going to feel good, but there's people here to take care of you. And, you know, they medicated me with Librium, um, not lithium, Librium, which is anti-anxiety med. Sure. Yeah. The first two days, I just, you know, kind of slept it off, sweated it out, had the shakes, not feeling good. I just, you know, slept a lot. But by day four, I was eating, you know, three meals and I just had this. I kind of got my moxie back, I would say at that point. I mean, I was, you know, motivated and positive and, you know, th th that place, you know, people come in and they go out. And so I was able to kind of start talking to, you know, the new people that came in like, hey, this is going to be okay. I've been here four days and I'm feeling much better. So you can do it. And that was a, you know, big win for me. And just, I'd had experience with AA too. And people were just kind of looking at me while I was at detox as kind of like a source of you know, hope, I guess. Yeah, Matt, let me let me comment on that real quick. That's a microcosm of the whole platform of AA. And I think yeah. the bulk of recovery is being of service to other people. Uh, you had four days away from alcohol and you were being of service to the newcomers that came into the detox facility, giving them strength, giving them hope, giving them guidance. And a lot of times in, we have a private community, Matt, called Cafe RE. And it's so wonderful to hear people share to other people that have 15 days away, away from alcohol. I don't like the word only, but sometimes people have two days and, and they're showing the newcomer the ropes. Um, on the flip side of that, sometimes people say, look, you know, I've only got 43 days away from alcohol. I don't feel like I have much to share hogwash to that one where you need to share it because 43 days, 20 days, I think you get the point. What I'm trying to say here is what you did on day four is is huge. That's the whole fundamental point behind recovery that Bill W. and, and Dr. Bob wanted to build a program off of, of being of service. Um, uh, real quick, you said it was hard to get into, hard to go to detox. Was that the voice yeah. inside the head that said, no way, we don't have a problem. Look, uh, what are we doing here? We can just, we got this. It's under control. I think it was putting my life on hold, you know, having to come to to grips with, with the reality and also other people, what their perception would be of me having to go to detox. I had that fear of what others would think. Sure. Um, gotcha. What's up, stigma? Coming up, coming clean with my wife. You know, hey, I, I I have no control of this. Yeah. And, you know, she knew it. Just once I got in those doors, though, I felt a sense of relief. It's going to be okay. You know, 
it's going to be a little challenging for the first few days, but let's get healthy because if you don't, you're going to die. For sure. That's the foundation of your sobriety right there is you have to get that stuff out of your system. And I think the nervous system can track that when you go into a safe environment, uh, it's time to heal. Now there is a quote that you can't heal in the same environment that you got sick. Don't recommend detoxing on your couch, right? Even if you don't have those intense uh, withdrawal symptoms, you're still in the same environment and your unconscious is going to start chirping real loud after a couple of days, at least in my opinion. So you, you leave detox and you go back to the real world, right? And I like how you phrase detox as almost a mini vacation. Yeah, sure. You focus on you. You got to put yourself first. It's time to heal. It's time to, time to make a change. You're back in the real world. Did you experience cravings? Were you challenged to take a drink? So, you know, having the four years of experience with AA and walking out of this wonderful, wonderful place where they took really good care of me, I just saw my wife's face and <laughs> she picked me up and, you know, I think she noticed the change in me and I probably looked better. <laughs> I was, I was eating again, you know, the, but just ready to go to work. I was ready to be accountable for things. The first thing we did was we went to Walmart and picked up a breathalyzer and I got some vitamins that I was taking at the facility just to, you know, better myself. And she was like, Oh, that's a really good idea. So, you know, anytime I leave the premises of my house and come back, I just blow in it and, you know, I'm accountable for, you know, we have a, locations shared on our phone so she can see where I'm where I'm at during the day if I've left and just you know being completely honest with every aspect you know I showed her where I kept my stashes you know of booze hey hon this is where I where I hid them in a big trash bag in my garage up against the corner and you know I went to immediately plunged back into AA yeah um, I want to hear about AA but real quick Matt we have a we have a three letter phrase here at recovery elevator called, we call it burning the ships, but open up about that, where you said you were completely honest with your wife. I love the breathalyzer thing, sharing locations. Here's the secret stash that I don't think you find out you've, you knew about. What was it like when you burned the ships with your wife uh, and was there a relief internally for you? Oh, and absolutely. how did she, how did she respond? Absolutely. Total relief. I wanted to prove to her that I could be an honest and capable person. I've already been through all this, I don't have, I don't want to keep anything hidden anymore. You know, that in itself drives an alcoholic crazy, like not remembering where we hid something, hiding things, the yeah. hiding became obsessive. Uh huh. And so just to be able to show her, like, this is, this is kind of, this is why I went to the garage, you know, middle of the night, you know, this is why I was acting, you know, suspicious. Yeah. Matt, everybody's story is different. Right. But there are there are similar milestones that I hear from people who have been successful in their decision to be sober. And one of them is this honesty component, burning the ships, creating that accountability. It's almost like this informal math equation that we have here. You burn the ship. That's honesty. That equals accountability, which then equals community, even if it's just you and your wife. And it's also creating small wins in different arenas of your life. We put at the very top of the totem pole, sobriety. It's alcohol-free life or bust. Everything else a failure if I'm not sober. But at the end of my drinking, I realized that uh, I was quite shitty at staying sober. It just wasn't happening. And I told myself, look, <laughs> that's not working, but I can work on the honesty thing. And I remember burning the ships with my parents, with my brother, with my best friends, and, and I was building this inner confidence saying, look, I'm not sober. <laughs> That's not going well, but I'm being honest with others. And most importantly, I'm being honest with myself. And there is no coincidence looking back 
that all of that happened within two to three to four months uh, of my sobriety date on this run, which uh, was September 7, 2014. And it's the honesty. Again, the burning the ships creates the accountability. The accountability equals community. It's almost this math equation I, I like to have. So cool. Um, what, 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 was your, what was your wife's response? sense of relief as well. And I think, um, more, you know, the trust level is probably, it's gonna, it's gonna be a while, but I think she trusts me more now, it seems. And I think both of us just have this sense of relief, like, okay, that's going to be okay. You know? And I try to, you know, not overwhelm her, but just kind of give her an idea of what my life was like being controlled by alcohol. She doesn't understand that she's, She's a temperate drinker, if if at all. And so, you know, just trying to give her insight into what what the alcoholic's mind is is like. You know, we don't want to hurt people, you know? Yeah. Not at all. And we just have a, a problem with the substance that we cannot control. Yeah, Matt. And you said you went back to AA. Like, how are you doing it right now? So I went back to the exact same group that I, I left. And they welcomed me back with open arms and... You know, I got a sponsor and I'm really doing the steps, really doing the honest part of AA, helping people that come in and really looking forward to meetings. I really, I go to two a day sometimes, you know, I've really immersed myself in this program and, you know, hearing, hearing the other stories and, you know, studying the book and the topic and hearing what people have to say and how it relates to me, how they overcame you know, gives me direction and how to, how to live my life and how to get out of situations that used to baffle me. Yeah. Matt, how do you pick a sponsor? I know there are listeners that are wondering that I go to AA, I don't have a sponsor, but I'm really afraid to ask. How, how'd you do it? How do you do it? I think you need to know, like, it's kind of like an interview process. I would say, um, you know, they say, get a temporary sponsor if you don't have one. And I, I recommend that, you know, temporary and then get to know people. Cause you want to have, in my opinion, a sponsor that kind of has the same, like you kind of look up to them as I want to live a life like he does. I, you know, generally I go more mature than me, had some time in the program, just I get along with him and, you know, he'll take my phone calls and be an outlet of help for me. And generally someone who's had other sponsees, they call them. And so I didn't choose right off the bat. And I had an idea because I'd been there before and I chose a sponsor that my heart and my gut were telling me this is the guy. So sponsorship yeah. is great. Great. I got asked this question a couple of weeks ago and here's, here's the, uh, the reduced answer that I, I give to listeners right now. If you're even thinking about AA is go to five different meetings, right? Don't write it off. Don't write it off after one. Every meeting has a different feeling, vibe, consciousness, pick one that you like. That'll be your home group. Give it a try. Yes, you can get a temporary sponsor. That's fine. But to find your sponsor, you're going to wait till somebody shares that you like. Hear that person share three to four times. And the way to do it, you find somebody that they have what you want. You think they have what you want. And then here's the hard part. You say, will you be my sponsor? <laughs> That's it. You don't yeah. overthink it. But yeah, I get it. It's a challenge. And listeners on this podcast, we have all different types of recovery pathways. Yeah, It sounds like AA has been, been big for you. Matt, you're not in Cafe RE. You're not in Recovery Elevator which is totally fine. There's no right or wrong way to do this. So I just want to point that out. Sometimes listeners hear AA, they shut down. Uh, everybody's in Cafe RE. It's, we try to get a wide mix, male, female, different age, different sobriety dates. But And actually, the last several months, we've had people in early sobriety. I gave a shout out on the podcast 
that I want to hear people in early sobriety. And, and I think Matt, you heard that, right? You reached out to me. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I've been That's listening right. to your podcast for a while. And yeah. I mean, it's straight up gangster, badass coming on a podcast with 31 yeah. days or with 14 days or three days and sharing the most intimate part of your life with listeners and you're doing a great job. So Matt, you got 31 days. You are, you've been here before. I think I heard you say you had six months earlier. What's going to be different this time? I think through all I've been through, I finally understand that if I pick up again or I drink again, I'm going to go back to exactly where I was. Rock bottom. I've heard numerous people say with years of sobriety that once they picked up, they didn't stop. Mm -hmm. They got right back to where they were. They had the shakes in the morning really quick, you know, quickly. And they, they ended up back in detox and I don't want to be there again. You know, I, I can live a life without alcohol. I'm happy. This is a much better way to live than being controlled by something that you have to put in your body. And I've come too far to go back. This is a different feeling than I had four years ago. This is a kind of a rebirth in a way. You know, I'm not young. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I'm 43 years old. This is the time to be the father I need to be to my son, to be the husband I need to be to my wife, and to be the person I need to be for myself. Mm. Matt, you said one word that I want to unpack for a moment before we hit the rapid fire round. That's rebirth. This is an opportunity, quitting drinking, I'm referring to, for a full rebirth. Um, normal drinkers, they don't get this opportunity in life. They make small deviations. Uh, maybe they change jobs, life partners, et cetera. But quitting drinking is the opportunity of a lifetime for a full rebirth. And you compile all your life lessons together. You have a moment of clarity, most likely. I think you said day three or four and, and detox. And they can come one ever but it's a full rebirth in life. And how exciting is that? I, I love how you said that word, Matt. Uh, actually, one more question before we hit the rapid fire round, Matt. What's on your bucket list? What's what's the expansive why you quit drinking? What's the opportunity? What uh, what do you want to go out there? I know you, you just said you want to be the best husband, the best father. I love that stuff. But how about what's on your bucket list? Uh, definitely an athletic event. I'm going to go with a marathon, run a marathon. All right. And I couldn't do that while I was drinking. I was not. I'm getting back into the exercise routine, but yeah, just a physical accomplishment for sure. For sure. All right. Good stuff. There's a lot of questions I want to ask listeners. It's hard to <laughs> it's hard to narrow these down. What advice would you give to your younger self? Don't take yourself too seriously, the world too seriously. Don't panic when things aren't going your way. Listen to others and pay attention. Pay attention to the small things in life, large things, you know, pay attention to yourself and don't just always strive to be a better person. One commonality, a response I hear is don't take yourself too seriously here at recovery elevator. We have rule 22, which is never at any moment. Take your, you take yourself too seriously. And that reminds me, I saw a, a YouTube snippet about how Einstein, the scientist did not have a tip for a bellman. And so he wrote out the key to life on a piece of paper and gave it to the bellman and this key to life was later auctioned off for a couple million dollars. And it said, the key to a happy life is to have a simple mind and not take yourself too seriously. I, uh, paraphrasing there, but I love how you said that. Matt, let's get into the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 10, 30 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Yes. Matt, what's the one thing you've learned about yourself in sobriety? Uh, that I have the power to actually do it. <laughs> All right. Best sober moment. I would say coming out of detox and seeing the world again and 
all its its wonder and majesty and you know the next chapter of my life which i'm in right now yeah what's your favorite alcohol-free drink uh drink lacroix lately I, it's been lacroix water and coffee <laughs> gotcha favorite 80s or 90s band allison chains <laughs> all right what are some of your favorite resources um i read three books i read the 12 and 12 the big a, a book and i have this small book called the little red book which is on my desk right now and it's got the steps kind of and other alcoholics definitely talking to other alcoholics helps me gotcha if you had a pet ladybug what would you name it uh ladybug Ooh, grover <laughs> okay yeah pineapple on pizza yes or no yes that's what's up matt love it next question what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners matt there is there is a solution it's in the book there is a way out of the chaos if you're dealing with chaos and alcoholism or drug addiction anybody can do it the book says anybody can do it you have to you have to almost you if i can do it anybody can do it you have to get there you have to be willing that is the big thing i think willingness is 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 a key component and if you do those those things you have a likelihood to succeed Matt, I'm going to double stamp that. Anybody can do this. Many people have a narrative in their head swirling around that says, I can't do this. It worked for them, but it won't work for me. And I'm not talking just AA, right? Anybody can do this sobriety thing. I've heard stories, certain levels of trauma that I've never experienced. I'm like, man, that's a that deck is stacked. But six months later, hey, what's up, Paul? <laughs> I just hit six months. Yeah. Anybody can do this. I love how you said that, Matt. Um, before we depart, Matt, give us your own. You might need to ditch the booze if line. <laughs> if you're waking up at 3 a.m., having trouble sleeping, you go down to the garage and crack one, and you're more concerned about hiding your alcohol than paying your bills. <laughs> I love it. And one that I was totally blind to while I was living it is you might need to ditch the booze. I think I was 24, 25 when I owned the bar in Spain. If you're drinking a bottle or a box of wine and two beers within 10 minutes at, from 6 a.m. to 6, 10 in the morning and then going back <laughs> to bed. Yeah, Yikes. Matt, I really appreciate your time. You did a fantastic job on this interview. Keep those 31 days going, my man. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's the best feeling. All right. Yeah, thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Matt, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. All right, Team RE, let's get after it this week. Going back to the intro, I want to encourage you to take a look at yourselves. Is there an area of your life that you've tried to make changes in, but things haven't stuck? Have you been on the hamster wheel doing the same thing over and over again? Spend some time with yourself this week and ask the question, could a different approach help? It can be really scary to let people in. Our egos want to protect us, but... If you pick the right people, it can be a game changer. When we're met with love, compassion, and understanding, it opens up a whole new world of growth. I'll keep you guys posted on how it's going. Change is hard, but so is letting something keep us from our best life. I'm glad you're here, Ari. I'm proud of you for the work that you're doing. You've got the grit. Show yourself some grace along the way, and don't forget to find a space for gratitude. You're the only ones who can do this, but you don't have to do it alone. I love you guys.
the stuff, being the authentic you, being truly happy, none of that can happen without the in your life. Don't take my word for it. Take a look at your past. Get clear. Be clear on why you're doing this. And then, go get it. <laughs>